On this episode, I will detail an unfound now disappearance that has been resolved. I will talk about an FBI agent's opinion on the 2017 Las Vegas massacre. I will update everyone on a trial concerning the disappearance of Brandy Myers. And I will cover a whole bunch of other stuff, including how I chickened out. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound Live for October 10th, 2022. Hello, everyone. What's going on? It is the live show for October 10th, 2022. Let me get uh, situated here a little bit. There we go. There we go. There we go. And I hope everybody's doing well. I have a lot to talk about to you tonight, as is usually the case. You know I am never at a loss for things to talk about, for information that I bring to this live show. In fact, I can tell you most of the time, the time runs out before I get to everything. And I do like that. I mean, of course, there's no time limit on this live show. Um, I guess I suppose we could go all night if we wanted. Um, but usually I try to limit it to around that two-hour mark. And so when it gets to about two hours, oftentimes I have things uh, – on the outline uh, that I want to get to that I just did it. They're never, it's never anything having to do with unfound. Of course, important news regarding unfound, anything like that. Usually the information is just national or international crime stories, studies, things like that, that uh, just don't make it into that show. But when it comes to anything regarding Unfound, uh, that always gets covered before we're done every Monday night. So here we are. As you can tell, I am back in my condo. Um, Many of you know that uh, if they follow me, or of course we're paying attention last Monday, that uh, last Wednesday I left. I went on a what you might call a disc golf trip to... uh, it's hard to say which state. We ended up uh, staying at an Airbnb in North Carolina, but the, the tournament that we went to watch was in South Carolina. Go figure. So uh, we are in both states, I guess. And you have to go through South Carolina to get to North Carolina. But I left last Wednesday. I was invited by good buddy Cameron. And I've known him since, I guess, about two, 2013. And he invited me to go, and he invited this other guy, Aaron, who I just kind of knew just a little bit. I think that we had played doubles together at some point in maybe the last five years. But I, of course, got to know him very well during this trip. Good guy. Uh, Enjoyed talking to him, getting to know him. And the three of us went up there, and we were up there from Wednesday evening until this morning. This morning. And then we hopped back in the car, made it back to Florida, and I got home at about 10 to 6 Eastern time, 
and it, it's good to go. A great time, but I think uh, because all of us are very busy guys in our own ways. Uh, Aaron has two children. He's married, has two children. Cameron Vezzi, he's married, uh, also very busy with the job that he has. He wanted to get back, and he had just come back from another vacation. And then me, uh, of course, I was anxious to get back to work doing unfound work. I did get some done while I was up there, but uh, of course not as much as had I been here at home. So I'm ready to get back to work. I think we were all... You know, we had a great time, but once we all got up this morning, I think it was like, yep, we're ready to get back to our regular lives, and that's what we're doing, and that's why this live show uh, is happening here and not somewhere else. So let's see who is in the live chat tonight for this Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, and then I'll get a little deeper into um, that trip, and I have a couple funny stories for you. Hello, Charlene. Uh, early hello from Tullamore, Ireland. Ireland. Really looking forward to the show tonight, Charlene. Thank you uh, for the very nice post. Maybe I need to talk about that before the night's over, Charlene, about your post that you made about me and uh, me on imdb.com, etc. Uh, nephew Charles, what's going on? Um, Charlene says, hope you have a good week since you were last here. I did. Looks like I, uh, yes, uh, Charlene was first in. She was early. Hello, Karen. Hello, Deborah. What's going on? The Real coming to us from Australia. Kathy wishes everybody happy Columbus Day. Yes, it is. And the moderator of the show, Charlie Bravo Cherie, is in. Thank you for moderating. Yeah, Charles, going to see you uh, next week. Um... Maybe we should make plans to get together maybe on Wednesday uh, evening, Charles. Uh, hello, Twinkle. Good to see you, Leanne. Good to see you. Light Walkers, live in Greensboro, North Carolina. I was just in North Carolina, as I just said. Light. Yeah, Twinkle, I'm happy to be home too. MJ coming uh, from Omaha, Nebraska. No place like home. Well, that is a coincidence, MJ, because this Friday, Unfound will be going to Omaha. Nebraska for a disappearance. So how about that, that I will talk about at the end of this show. So, um, this trip, I'll, I'll get uh, a couple of funny stories. You should know that I did all the driving and, um, yes, MJ, I'll talk about it at the end. Yes, absolutely. We're going to Omaha, Nebraska this Friday. And I did all the driving. I, I took my car, uh, for a couple different reasons. It just, I don't, um, given that kind of Aaron like lives on the way, wouldn't have been, it would have been weird for, you know, me to put everything in my car, get Cameron stuff, then go up this and then I'll unpack it and put it in. I just prefer really to drive anyway. I think of the three of us, I have the oldest car, even though it runs great. It has 98 some thousand miles on it now, but I like to drive. This goes maybe even way back to my college days being the designated driver, always looking out for the people who are with me. And it's partly that. Partly that I'm a little, I have to admit, I'm a little particular about when I ride with somebody and how they drive. So there's that. So I'm a little bit of a control freak when it comes to that. In addition, 
although it doesn't happen all the time, uh, sometimes I get car sick. Even just like when my brother's um, Brian has picked me up to take me to the airport. Sometimes I've gotten kind of these headaches uh, before I even get to the airport, which is a half hour away. And I can tell you one time when my brother Michael picked me up at the airport when I flew to Pennsylvania. Now it's like an hour from the airport to my dad's place. I got car sick on that trip, which was miserable. So I didn't want to take that chance of anything like that happening. So I'm just like, you know what? I'll drive. I'm, I'm happy to do it. And so I did all the driving and it was great. And, uh, you know, for everybody to get home in one piece, Aaron's home with his family, uh, Cameron's home with his wife, Danielle, I'm home here in my uh, condo. Everything. It's, it was great. It was great. But, uh, there was one like car story that I need to tell all of you. I did hit a curb while I was there. It was in the oddest of spots. We pulled into this Walgreens. The um, must have been on that Thursday evening after the first round of play that uh, Cameron had to get something and I forgot to bring shampoo. Of course, you know, I need shampoo, of course. And it wasn't in this Airbnb. So we pulled into this Walgreens and everything was fine. Well, when pulling out, for some reason, there was like a cement small curb between the enter and exit lanes, like a little island right between the lanes. I went right up on that. <laughs> didn't see it. Aaron, who was in the front seat, didn't see it. Cameron, who was in the back seat, didn't see it. And man, I hit that thing square on. Uh, not with the tires, but like right under like the hood of the car. And man, it sounded like I just really, really messed it up. And so I backed off and I was like, I can't believe I did that. I cannot believe I did that. So the car was still idling. There's no, no idiot lights coming on, no fuel pressure lights, the coolant's thing, you know, it's not overheating and everything else. There's no funny sounds or anything. And so um, it, I think I did this. And I didn't do it on the way up. To, actually, it was Thursday morning because we were still driving over to the course for the first round. We get to the course. It was like right, right across the street. And I'm afraid to even look. I am, you know, because I pulled off, I looked, got out of the car where it happened, and the car curb was not that high. It was probably like about that, something like that. But it was skinny, but it was that high. And got to the uh, course, and I looked under there, and there is something like that's hanging down right now, but I. It, it might have been like that anyway. I have no idea because I never look under my car. But no damage to the engine, nothing. And in fact, the car ran great. Um, did not hit another curb while I was there. Made sure not to do that. But I'm telling you, when we did it, it sounded like the worst sound in the world. I'm here to tell you. But it ran great. Obviously, made it back here. No problems at all. Now, probably there are some dings and things. And I will tell you that when we did go to this other course to play while we were there, there were some speed bumps, one of which I went over, and something did scrape under there as I was going over the speed bump. So there probably is something hanging down there, like a low spot uh, now, but I'm not really uh, worried about it. as long as the car is running. Um, 
that's all I really care about. But the, for a few moments there, a few minutes, I was worried about how are we going to make it back to Florida um, if the car is messed up. So that is uh, the funny driving story. And I think it probably could have been uh, much worse. So this goes along with this car. This goes along with uh, the many times I've hit my car with discs because I've parked it in the wrong spot when I've been throwing in a field or something. And then how I backed into a tree when I was at uh, Masters Worlds, Disc Golf Masters Worlds, last year in Orlando. I forgot that I parked in this field and there was a tree right behind me and I was so ticked off about my round I wasn't paying attention I backed right into a tree and the bumper in the back's a little messed up so this story goes with all of those and the Hyundai just keeps going and the only I've had to replace tires on it of course I replaced the battery about six weeks ago the brakes are still um I've not I've I've had the car for over 60,000 miles. The brakes are still good on it. Don't have, I have no idea. I, you know, I re- used to replace de- brakes on my Taurus like every 20,000 miles. We're now 60,000 miles on the Hyundai Sonata and I've not replaced the pads or the calibers. No stops great, no sounds. I don't know. Get the oil changed and it just keeps running. It gets great gas mileage even with the three of us and all of our luggage. I think I still got 35 miles to the gallon or something going to North Carolina and back with three of us, our luggage, our disc golf bags. You know, you know, how can you complain about that? You can't. So that was uh, one funny story. Let me see what everybody's saying here. The real, oh my gosh, exact same happening to a car. I was in the other day and I was also in an island. It was an island in a parking lot. We also saw another car do the exact same on the same island curb, you spell the curb K E R B. Aren't you cute? Uh, the real here in the United States, of course, we spell it C U R B. But um, I have to tell you, in looking at that curb, once I pulled back off the curb, it had been hit many times before. There were many scrapes and things you could tell where it had been hit many times. Maybe not like I hit it, like straight on. Maybe somebody hit it with a tire or something, which might even be worse, depending on the the height of the car. I mean, if I would have been in a Corvette, I mean, I don't want to even think what would have happened, but, um, it had certainly been hit before. It was a very poor design. And all three of us were like, what is this curb even doing here? What, what is going on? So, um, I'm hoping that you got out of that. Whoever's car that was, uh, got out of it with the, with any problems, the real hello, Jody. Look at you with that emoji. Love that emoji. Hello, Marlene. Good to see you. TD says, this guy has driving control issues. I do, TD. That is true. Um, I'm, I'm very particular about who I ride with and um, how they're driving. And I am. I just am. So I have high standards when it comes to that. And I'd like to think that I'm a pretty good driver. I haven't had a, um, I, I haven't had a, uh, a speeding ticket since 2006, and I haven't had a speeding ticket in driving my own car since I lived in Pennsylvania, which is like 25 years ago. Even though I would say probably I do drive above the speed limit, 
no wrecks where any insurance companies were called or anything. So I'd like to think I'm a pretty good driver. And I, I enjoy driving. Just put me behind the wheel and those guys can do it. We had some conversations. We rode for many, many miles in silence. Uh, they're doing work on their phones or whatever. And I'm certainly just happy to just uh, make sure we get from point A to point B in one piece. Uh, I, I like being able to do that. It must be part of my personality. Um, the real says when you're close to those traffic islands and parking lots, you literally can't see them. That's kind of what happened. The real, to be honest, TZC, but, but you keep hitting stuff. I know TD, I have con- driving control issues, but I keep hitting stuff. I know it makes no sense. Uh, I agree. MJ says, I'm the same. I guess I have trust issues. Me too, MJ. Me too. Laura, hi, everyone. Hope all is good. And my friends, I'm recovering. I'm now out of the hospital. Good to hear you're out of the hospital, Laura. Thank you for giving us an update. So that was uh, one story. Now, uh, for all of you who are listening to this as a podcast in the intro, you know that I also teased that I, I wanted to tell you a story about me chickening out. And, you know, I'm an open book. Uh, I don't mind telling, um, you know, funny stories about myself where I look, you know, a little funny or a little, you know, awkward or or things like that. And so I'm going to tell you this story because it's a good one. Um, Of course, I went up there with uh, Cameron and Aaron to this disc golf tournament. All the big tournament uh, players, all the best players in the world were there. And it was a fantastic time on the Winthrop University campus. The, the course goes through the campus. It's, it's fantastic. The weather was beautiful and everything else. And, but uh, some of you I know who follow me on Facebook, you know that there are, you know, sometimes I make Bo Derek jokes. And um, really that's a factor of me being from Generation X and me remembering when Bo Derek, who is now, I think, about 63 in her heyday, she was a sex symbol. And I, I think a lot of like people like 20 years younger than I am don't even know who she is. But she was a huge sex symbol, late 70s into the 80s. Uh, the movie 10, Tarzan the Ape Man and all of that in Playboy and everything. And so once in a while, I will make a, a Bo Derek joke. And it, it's not a joke about her. It's always about me. The joke is always about me. Um, you know, I am the point of laughter. She is not, but I try to put Bo Derek in, in the joke somewhere about something. Well, there's somebody else who I have done that with uh, a couple times under the same circumstances. I'm not making fun of her. I'm making fun of myself. All right. Cause many of you follow me on Facebook. know I do that. And because once again, I think the reason I do that on Facebook and why I even do that in person is because everybody's so dang serious. And we co- unfound, of course, the podcast is serious and it is treated in a serious way. And I treat it as serious as serious can be. Um, but in my somewhat private life, um, you know, I like, I think I'm somewhat of a funny guy, I have a very corny sense of humor just to give you an idea like when we were coming back today when we got into florida as soon as we passed the florida sign we went from georgia into florida i said to the guys well at least if we get arrested now we'll at least be in a jail in our home state you know 
jokes like like dad jokes, even though I'm not a dad, things like that. Well, there is a disc golfer, and her name is Holly Finley. And she's a very good player, not top in the world. Her rating is certainly higher than mine is. But uh, before she got into disc golf, which I think she got into disc golf, I think her PDGA rating or her number is like somewhere around mine. So maybe she got into it 10 years ago. But she's a supermodel. If you look her up like on Instagram or just do a a, a Google search for her, you're going to find her disc golf stuff, but you're also going to find her modeling stuff, Holly Finley. And so, as you can imagine, she's uh, a supermodel. What else do I have to say? So once in a while, I will crack a joke. And in fact, even in knowing that I was going to be going up to the USDGC this past week, I think last week or some point, I even made a joke about, you know, something about, once again, joking about going up there and maybe not even watching the discover something like that. Maybe I'll just, you, you, she doesn't, she won't mind if I stalk her or something. Do you think or something, something like that. Once again, joking. Just to be clear, joking. Cause this is once again, just how I sometimes talk about these things. So wouldn't you know that I ran almost right into her uh, at one of the um, tents that they have set up. And this isn't crazy for me to be, do- you know, now you should know she's kind of like in my age. I think she just turned 40. So it's not like I'm making a joke about a 20 year old or something. This is a woman who um, is kind of almost in my age range, not quite generation X. So, you know, I'm not getting weird there. But what do you know that I just about ran smack right into her at this one tent where her sponsor is, her sponsor is Innova. It just happened to be the disc I throw. She was at their store. And I was, wasn't even really paying attention. And I was like rounding like where some of the clothes were. She was coming like the other way. And almost, I almost ran, we, we passed within feet of each other. And... Cameron knows how I've, you know, done these, said these things. Once again, very joking, joking, joking. And, you know, I looked back at him and he saw that I saw her and I, you know, and she was, I didn't talk to her or anything else, but I wanted to say something to her. Totally check it out. I was going to, of course, be very respectful and, you know, or something. But once again, in that moment, I felt like an eighth grader at a, at a junior high school dance at 52 years old. And it's just me. Um, that's, that's just kind of who I am. I don't, I don't want everybody to think that, um, because I do this live show and, uh, of course I interview all these people and I've done 300 some episodes. I, I still have to think that in many ways I am a little bit socially awkward and maybe it's because I have lived by myself for so long and, um, and then, you know, on top of it, you know, just really when it comes to relationships and things, I'm probably not the best and everything. So I ran almost right into her, 
right there. Like it's it's not a store. It's like a it's it's like with memory. It's with discs are there, clothes are there, towels are there, pictures are there. You know things you can buy in the end of a store that was set up on the site of this tournament, and that was it should make total sense in the world that she is there. And um, I don't even know what she was doing there, but I had a chance to say hi to her. I had a chance to, because she did write, you know, she did write something funny on her Instagram back in the masters. Cause she was at masters worlds. Like I was back in Illinois because she's 40 years old. Well, nobody knew that she was 40. If you look at her, she doesn't look 40. She looks like maybe she's 30. And so when she showed up to play at Masters World, you have to be 40 years old to play there. And so she made some joke about herself, uh, about how she got like some exemption to play like with the older people or something, which she, of course she didn't. She's 40 years old. So she has a really great sense of humor. You know, it's probably something I would have said if I was in her position, but everybody knows I'm 52. So... Once again, you just, it was just awkward. It was just really, really awkward. And for those moments, like I said, I just felt like, uh, like a teenager again, or even almost preteen and, uh, wanting to call some girl on the phone and not being able to dial the phone that, you know, punch the numbers into the phone, going back to the days when phones were still on walls. So it was just kind of funny. And I wanted to say something to her about what she wrote back in July because it was absolutely hilarious because, once again, she showed up at that tournament and everybody's like, what's Holly Finley doing here? At least for most people. I mean, most people who um, you know, know her will probably really know what her age is. But for most fans of her who watch her, know she's a disc golfer, men or women, I'm not sure how many of them really knew that she was 40 years old. And so she, they were all stunned, I think, when she showed up. And so she made a joke about it, which I just a great sense of humor, great personality and everything. And I wanted to compliment her on that. And I just totally froze up. Just totally, uh, totally, totally froze up. So that's how I chickened out. And then I saw she, she walked off. And she was playing in the tournament. The women were playing too. Uh, they were playing in the morning, men in the afternoon. And then she walked off and she was with some other guy. I'm not saying they're a couple or anything, but you have to understand a lot of these pros uh, tour together, both men and women, even though they're not a couple, they'll tour together to save on expenses. And I, I think she was with her touring partner. They were going around to each of the store, you know, the little locations there. And that was, that was the only time I saw her. That must've been on, must've been on Thursday must have been on Thursday, that first day. I didn't see her after that. So that is how I chickened out. So the the intro, once again, for all of you listening uh, the, to this as a podcast, uh, the day after this is live, you'll now you now know what I am talking about. You can look her up. She's a very good player. Um, like I said, been playing for about ten years. Her rating is much higher than mine. I have no problem with what. Uh, regarding that as a man, no problem with that at all. In fact, all those pro players, women have a higher rating. They're all better players than I am. It's just fine. So that's what happened, but it was still, it was a great time, but, uh, me and uh, the guys had a little bit of a chuckle 
after that. Cause as soon as I saw her and she went by me, I turned around to my buddy, Cameron, Aaron doesn't, doesn't know me as well. So I turned around and looked at Cameron. He looked at me and, you know, we, we gave each other that look. It was pretty fun. So there you go. Um, so that's my chicken out story. So what's everybody saying? Uh, Deborah says it's lust. Uh, that's funny. Um, everything you need to get out more, Ed. I try to everything, but I'm usually not successful. Leanne says you're only human, Ed. That is true. Twinkle says that's a sweet story about Holly, Ed. It is a story. I, yeah, it was nice. So please, uh, you can look her up and then uh, you can judge for yourself and uh, you can Google and see what she's all about. So there you go. Um, I should have re remind everyone now that we're almost a half hour in, please give this video a thumbs up. Please do that. Please do that. Please do that. And uh, become a subscriber right down here, the button in the bottom right-hand corner. And what else can you do? You can become a Patreon member, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. And if you'd like to go that one step further, just hit the join button down below and become a member. And you get some cool stuff for becoming a member of this YouTube channel. But just give those thumbs ups as you are watching this, whether live on October 10th or sometime after. And if you're listening in the podcast, Whatever app that you use, it would be nice if you gave Unfound Live, the podcast, a nice review. So moving on, uh, other things that are going on um, with me. Uh, as I talked about last Monday, maybe a couple hours before this live show started last Monday, my this computer right over here, it didn't die. The, the hard drive and everything worked fine, but the fan died on it. And if you don't know... Uh, these laptops that they have fans in them because to cool everything down. And if the fan doesn't work, it's a very good chance if you try to use a computer long enough, you'll just fry it. It'll just go hot and things will start melting. And so uh, I had to order a new fan for it. And I found a YouTube video on how to replace the fan in this particular laptop. So I ordered the fan Last Monday night, it got here while I was gone. I got here this evening, back this evening, put the new fan in it in, in less than five minutes, and the computer's working, and boy, did I get off light. And the fan's only like 20 bucks or something like that from Amazon. And this video that I watched online uh, was perfect on how to take this particular laptop apart and the screws and everything and pop everything off and how to disconnect and put the other one in just went as smooth as smooth could be thank goodness thank goodness but on the other hand this hewlett packard laptop is not even a year old and the fan went on it so i guess i should just be happy that the the hard drive or something just didn't go like it did on not the computer before this but the computer before that which was a dell um, the, after only a couple years, the hard drive went on it. Luckily I was able to salvage everything. That was about a year after I started unfound. And then the Dell that I got after the one, the laptop before this one, the keyboard went on out, you know, I'd try to type and it would start typing all these weird letters and numbers and everything. So I had to get this one that I have now. And then in less than a year, 
the fan goes, luckily it was a cheap fix. Whereas during this entire time, I've had this MacBook, I've had three, you know, PC series laptops in the same period that I've had one MacBook. Now, granted, this costs as much as three of those PC laptops, but it's still going strong. I don't know, after six years or something. So, uh, but I got that fixed. I talked about that last week and I am so happy. You don't know how happy I was when I put it back, that new fan back in, turned it on and the fan just kicked right in and it's sitting right here and doing well. Thank goodness. And then uh, maybe the final thing is that I got to go to the dentist tomorrow. This is a planned uh, follow-up from the bridge that I'm having done, you know, getting done over this bottom left-hand part of my mouth. And so I don't need, after a long trip back and getting up early every morning to go play disc golf and then go watch disc golf, I should have stated that when we were up there, we played three courses that I'd not played before. They were all very difficult, by the way. Very tough. Very beautiful, 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 beautiful courses. Nicer than anything we have uh, in this area of Florida. Very difficult. Um, but we did that. So we were getting up early in the morning. You know me. I like to go to bed late, 1, 1 in the morning, and then not get up till maybe 10, 11. But instead, uh, I was going to bed at maybe midnight to 1 and getting up at 7.30. Uh, while I was on this trip and we would go play and then we would go over to the course and watch all day. So I was on my feet all day and my right foot has some sores going on on it right now. But I don't even get to sleep in tomorrow morning because I have to go to the dentist. So so I'll be up at like quarter after seven, be at the dentist before eight o'clock. Hopefully I will not be there too long. As uh, we can, once again, as I continue to get work done on this bridge, if you'll remember, I had to get this root canal tooth yanked out because I cracked it after 22 years. I was done with one huge dentist bill, and now I'm into another huge dentist bill. Lovely. So once again, please remember to give uh, Unfound a thumbs up as you are watching this video. Let me see here. I need to check this. Did I get any questions before tonight's show started? I kind of posted the request for questions a little late in the game this evening, but um, let's see. It doesn't look like I did, which is perfectly fine because I have enough to talk about. Anyway, what is this? Um Okay, let's move on to the, let's now move into the uh, missing persons, true crime, and other crime news part of this show. I'll start here, as I usually do, with the Natasha Carter and Susan Carter poll. Uh, I learned very quickly that um, some of you certainly thought that uh, Rick Lafferty was quite the character. He did say some things, he used some uh, words and things that uh, I don't think anybody else has used in an interview before. And I have to tell a funny story regarding this, is that this past weekend, my assistant Emily, all of you know Emily, of course, 
She was uh, driving somewhere, going somewhere with her boyfriend, and she was listening to the episode. And she just sent me a message. And, you know, you know she asked me something effective. You know, how do you keep a straight face in, in an interview like that when he's calling, you know, using those words and saying this and these things? And, and I just told her that I, I keep a straight face because instantly I'm thinking, is this something that I'm going to be able to leave in the interview or not? Am I going to have to bleep it out or is what I usually do? Of course, I mute it because um, – you know, I don't know if you you realize this, but once in a while, some guests may drop an S bomb or an F bomb or something like that, or and then I don't edit it out; I just mute it for that very small portion. And very much like the interview that I did a month ago, where after the fact, myself and the guest decided that we weren't going to use that person's name, where I went through and muted all the names out. Well, when people swear. I just kind of, you know, if they're in the middle of a sentence, I'm not going to tell them, you know, we can't say that. They know that it's PG rated. And I just end up muting those words out. So when Rick is using the words that he did, they aren't necessarily swear words or anything. But instantly I'm thinking, am I going to leave? I'm not really laughing or smiling or anything else. I'm just thinking to myself, when I go back and listen to this, am I going to, Am I going to leave these things in or not? Of course, I did decide to to leave them in. And uh, you will have to judge for yourself whether you think that Rick's opinion of his ex-girlfriend, Susan, is correct or not. But it, it seems to me that um, Emily was not the only one, uh, given some of the responses, messages that I got, uh, Everybody uh, was instantly struck by Rick's um, words and his character and how he acted during the interview. I, I think in a, in, a, in a somewhat positive way, although maybe some people thought that maybe he was going a little too far talking about you know the mother of his daughter. So uh, Larry, uh, I mean Rick, unique guy. I've known him four or five years now as I've stated. Always a unique conversation when you're talking to Rick. So uh, the Natasha Carter and Susan Carter poll uh, that I, of course, put in the discussion group every Saturday morning. I did find time to do that this weekend. And so the choices were Larry killed Natasha and Susan. Uh, Larry of course, did not do anything to them. And it's just like he said, he just happened to get the name wrong that they really did leave with some guy that, or that they left on their own. And overwhelmingly, uh, the way that we, the way the interview was conducted, um, it was decided that, uh, you all decided that Larry is responsible for, Susan and Natasha's disappearances uh, in the discussion group, overwhelmingly. Not total 100%, but very close. In the Think Tank, which uh, the Think Tank is part of the offering at patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast, should you become a member, and you should, Think Tank pretty much came to the same conclusion as well. Uh, there were a couple people who were critical of Rick and thought he was a little bit of a cad and maybe, you know, thought that he might've been exaggerating on some, some things, but even so, 
those people thought that most likely Rick is mostly responsible, uh, most responsible for Natasha, it, totally responsible for Rick or for Natasha and Susan's disappearances. You know, I, what was tough about the think tank is we really could not come to any solid conclusion why, if he did it, then why wasn't he more prepared with a story when Rick called? Why did the names change? And this is a topic that has come up before. And, of course, I hope to do Unfound for a few more years. And I'm hoping eventually to come to some solid conclusion of these situations where it looks like as just an example, a husband causes a wife to disappear. He kills her, maybe planned, maybe not planned, heat of the moment, passion, something like that. And then when family or friends come a calling, the guy just isn't prepared to give like a solid story. I mean, a story. He eventually has to realize that somebody's going to ask about his wife, right? I guess the best example will continue to be Angela Green. I use her as the example in the presentations that I do at universities. That he just told these stories that he could not back up with any facts and they were totally outrageous. Why does this happen? So when it comes back to Larry, I think that this is one of the reasons that I think most people came away from the episode thinking that he did it because the stories that he told just didn't make any sense. What well, was Manuel? No, it was Jose. He didn't seem concerned that uh, the both of them didn't come back. I mean, like I said in the summation of the episode, um, you know, I could be very open to the idea that maybe he didn't want them to come back. Maybe he married Susan and figured out, oh my gosh, what a mistake that I I made. And when she des- she decided to take Natasha and go off with some other guy, that might have been the answer to Larry's prayers. And that's why he wasn't too worried about them coming back. Certainly possible. But that he didn't get the names right and that... He he didn't, you know, if he's bitter towards Susan, I think we get that. But a 10-year-old girl is involved and Larry has just been unhelpful. I think that that really pushes people over the edge. I think it does. And, uh, of course, then for me, although the Patreon blog is not finished yet, I still have about a 1,000 words to go. Just wasn't able to do as much writing this weekend as I usually do for obvious reasons of being up there for these this disc golf tournament, watching and playing recreationally. Uh, I want you to know, even though I'm not finished, I will give you the general idea that I think that Larry is responsible too. But if you'd like to read that, how I get to that in my own way, please sign up to be a Patreon supporter at patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast but I, I i still don't think by the end of this i'm gonna have any good answers to why if i believe larry did it then why wasn't he prepared to give a more solid story when rick called he had to know eventually that rick was going to call about rick, you know rick would call about his own daughter might not be calling to talk to susan but surely he would call 
because he's interested in, you know, what's going on with Natasha. I'd like to talk to her, see how she's doing. And that's the response that he gets. So um, that's really all I want to, you know, get into at this, at this point. I'm not going to go through all the, the ways that Larry could have done that, but that was the consensus in the, dis, uh, in the discussion group on Facebook. If you're not a member yet, you should be. It was that Larry did it. The think tank says Larry did it. And me, myself, and I think that Larry did it. It's just about a stereotypical example of a dis- the disappearance type called the man said. That's something that I've come up with myself. Of course, the the uh, complicating factor in this is that a 10-year-old girl is missing as well, which has not been the situation in any of the other the man said's. Uh, that we've covered on and found. And that's why the episode was called a first. Uh, hello. Uh, uh, going back to what uh, Rick, uh, Rick's language, the real says the kind of language is just polite dinner conversation in Australia. Don't we know it? The real and coffee. Good to see you. Uh, thank you for tuning in tonight on October 10th, 2022. Moving on. Um, going to be releasing the next unfound now in fact i'm going to have an unfound now story here before we're done tonight uh the unfound now came out for members of this youtube channel last weekend and uh, we'll re-release to all of you tomorrow so be looking for that i will of course post a link in the discussion group on the page uh there will be a link on the website theunfoundpodcast.com on twitter Everywhere that unfound is. So once again, be looking for that. Uh, Leanne, definitely Larry is uh, suspicious. I think that's where you were going uh, with that. Leanne did not finish it, but I think I got saying that. So unfound now, the monthly series that I do on recent disappearances. Uh, The next one. Uh, for at least the public will be coming out tomorrow. Once again, for members of this channel, they've been able to view it since last weekend, like eight days ago. Moving on, one more thing before I get into some national news, news that's not connected to Unfound. Uh, Tomorrow or next week, uh, a week from tomorrow, I will be going to Greeley, Colorado once again. The dates have changed. I think I might have given you different dates last week, but they've changed. I will be leaving on the morning of October 18th, so a week from tomorrow. And I will be coming back the night of October 20th. So leaving on a Tuesday morning, coming back on a Thursday night. In fact, I think my plane lands on that Thursday at like 11.30 p.m. or something. And so I think that means that I will be up on the stand on Wednesday, maybe even possibly into Thursday. And we'll see how it goes. And so I'm not staying there quite as long as I did last time. If you will remember, I left on a Wednesday morning and and didn't leave till a Saturday morning. So this is like one more, one less night in Greeley. And on top of that, I think I'm staying at a different hotel than uh, the first time. The, the, the hotel I was at before, 
the first time was all booked up for some reason. So there won't be that easy, uh, I don't know, just walk across the park to the courtroom. I, I've been told that the um, that the hotel's like three blocks away, and I really don't mind walking that. As long as not, it's not raining or snowing, that is. So we shall see. So uh, what does this mean? Um, the live show will still happen, and I do plan to have some sort of episode that will come out next Friday. Maybe I'll re-air the Steve Pankey interview once again, just like I did last year. Uh, hard to say right at the second. Maybe I'll get an interview done this weekend. That would be nice. Maybe uh, I'll be able to do that. Either way, I should be able to work on the episode in Colorado. I'm not able to record anything, but as long as I can edit a thing, you know, that'll be fine. So let's uh, move on to some national crime news that caught my attention. Here's the first one. It's a story that comes out of California, and this is this is just how easy, uh, easily abductions can happen, even when there are multiple people and who are abducted, and it's all done by one person. I think this is something that we have to remember when we think about disappearances. Whether you know, could something have happened this way? Could something have happened that way? Oh no, it could have. You know, there are multiple people there. It couldn't have happened that way. Well, this might kind of fly in the face of that. Uh, Members of a California family were kidnapped at gunpoint and have been missing since Monday, so last Monday. They have been found dead, according to Merced County officials. Merced County Sheriff Vern Warnke said on Wednesday, last Wednesday, that their worst fears have been confirmed as deputies found the bodies of each of the four family members including an eight-month-year-old, eight-month-old baby. Early on Wednesday, authorities released surveillance video from their business in Merced, California, that showed a man kidnapping the baby, her parents, and her uncle. So one guy was able to do all of this. The video showed the suspect initially walking by the property before entering and talking to one of the men. Moments later, the video shows the suspect leading the two men whose hands were zip-tied behind their backs out of the business trailer and into the back of Ahmed Singh's pickup truck. The suspect then led Jaspi Singh, who was carrying the baby, into the truck as well. He then drove away. Warnke previously said the suspect made no ransom demands, though he believed the crime was financially motivated. Family members said nothing was stolen from their business property. The discovery of the bodies comes the day after California authorities arrested a convicted robber believed to be responsible for the kidnapping. And two days after authorities located the stolen truck on fire outside Merced. We often think that there are, there is safety in numbers. And in fact, that was the theme of a disappearance, um, Cal Fleischmann's that you go out as a group, you're safe, you stick together, nothing can happen. That's not necessarily true. Uh, and this proves it. You, you would think that now I realize this guy who kidnapped them 
might have had a gun, might have had a knife. I've not seen this video. Maybe it's out there. I've not seen it. But he might have had a weapon. But the baby, uh, Deborah, the baby was killed too. The baby was killed too. They're all dead, all four of them. But there is only safety in numbers if somebody is willing to resist. There's no safety in numbers if everybody's just going to go along with the one guy who shows up with a gun. Now, it's easy for me to talk or any of, he seems, for any of us to talk because we're not there uh, in a situation right at the second where you're with friends, you're hanging out somewhere. Let's just say that you're at a Starbucks and you're outside just drinking your coffee, just having a good time. And somebody shows up with a gun and there are three of you are sitting there. And this guy says, all of you better come with me or else. And at that point, there is no safety in numbers. See, the whole thing about safety in numbers is the thinking that, well, if I'm hanging out with a group of people, surely somebody wouldn't be stupid enough to try to do something to us. Well, maybe, maybe not. Yes, the, the odds decrease, but they certainly never get to zero. And you have to have the courage to act. I can't say what was going on in this particular situation. Why? Uh, of course, the adults, the baby, can, of course, can't do anything. But the adults, the three adults, would go along with this. Very well may be, well, if you don't go along with me, I'm going to kill the baby. You got to think that that point, if somebody is saying that, then all of you, this person already has designs on killing all of you anyway. As uh, you know, I know Sheree is moderating tonight. She and I have talked about this before. Do never allow yourself to be taken away. Don't do that. You can't do that. Um, Yes, you may die, but you're probably going to die anyway. In addition, if you get taken away, it's going to be much, much, much harder for police to catch whoever did it. Now, granted, luckily, there was video, and it, it does seem to me that there's some sort of history going on here. I don't, It doesn't sound to me like these people were totally strangers to each other because it says arrested – uh, you know, was financially motivated or something. But you cannot allow yourself or your group to be taken away. Just, you know, it's just, I know you just say it. I know you're going to kill me anyway. Just kill me right now. Uh, you can beg for your life and everything, but we know at some point, that stuff doesn't work. So for this, it's hard for me to understand all of this. Maybe once again, maybe because there was time to come to some kind of connection here that they knew this guy, that maybe they didn't fully appreciate that he was actually going to follow through with what he ended up doing. Certainly possible. But if you follow, like I follow a couple self-defense channels on YouTube, like active self-protection, and I follow some gun channels and 
um, defend yourself with a gun challenge. Those types of, I follow, I watch a lot of videos on those, um, on those channels. And one of the things they say, when somebody threatens you with a gun, you got to believe that they aren't afraid to use it. If somebody threatens you with a knife, you have to believe that the person is serious. Don't take it as a joke. Don't tell, you know, don't try to think, well, this person surely wouldn't kill me because that person surely doesn't want to go to jail. And it's so obvious and he's going to be on video and everything. You can't afford to think like that. And uh, this guy knew exactly what he was doing because as the video showed, what did he do? He zip tied the two guys and probably they zip tied, you know, he probably zip tied one of them and had the other one zip tied the other all the while, probably threatening the baby, threatening the woman. And in that moment, you got to make a decision. Now, of course, if you're carrying a gun, which most people are not allowed to do, I'm not here to get into that in this podcast, but most people, you know, a lot of people in California are not allowed to do that. A lot of stipulations and things about that in California. Of course, Florida, a little different here, a little different in Texas. If you live in Illinois, New York, good luck. New Jersey. But of course, this is one of the reasons that you have to be prepared to defend yourself if you are allowed to carry the gun, a gun in the state in which you live. So um, probably, you know, we can maybe look at this two ways. If this were a situation where this guy knew that people carried guns, then maybe he doesn't try this. Maybe. Or on the other hand, if he does try it, Maybe a couple of these people die, but not all of them. And maybe the baby is saved. Maybe the adults die, but this, the, the baby lives or something. It's very, very sad. And um, but getting back to my original point, but this just shows you how quickly abductions can happen, even when there is a group of people. We know like was it the McStay family, they were all killed. Why? By the, the guy's business partner. Once again, you'd think, now granted two of the people were children, but you wouldn't think that that would be possible for one guy to pull off killing an entire family. Did it. Buried them. So never be, you know, lulled into a false sense of security uh, just because with you're with you're with a group of people, this is how quickly it can happen. These put up people seemingly put up no fight, and they and and they end up dead. And uh, it's very very sad. But so when we think about disappearances, we always talk about that timeline. And you know, is it possible that somebody was really abducted in this very very small window? I think probably the window of possibility of probability is a lot smaller than we think. We think, well, it may take 15, 20 minutes to take somebody. This obviously taking three adults and a, and a baby obviously did not take 20 minutes. The way it's written here, it took five minutes. 
So just remember that. It's a very, very sad story. So I'm just going to read. Um, the baby was killed too. Yep. So much evil in the world. Everything says Leon. So very sad. Good point on how one person commandeered four people. Scary to think. Yep. That's right. And Coffee says, ask Jamie Kloss. There's not necessarily safety in numbers. Yep, there's hope for change. One of these cases, one of those cases where it's hard to hear the details, heartbreaking. Yep, never go to a second location, Assistant Sheree said. Yep, she and I have talked about that before. Deborah says, murder is wrong. I know an eight-month-old, come on, it can't talk, therefore it can't tell. Hello, Veronica. Good to uh, see you in the chat tonight. Thanks for joining in. So that is one story uh, that I wanted to pass along to you. It's just maybe a coincidence that we just covered a disappearance of a mother and her child with Susan and Natasha Carter or the disappearances of them. And then I wanted to talk about this. It's kind of uh, the same thing, but not really, especially being that I think most people think that Susan's own husband caused their disappearances and not somebody else. Um, let me move on to the next story, and that is it's very interesting to me. Uh, I read it. Uh, what is the uh, yeah, I, I got it. What is the guy's name who did this, Deborah? Uh, let me see if I can find that. Amon Deep Singh. I don't know if that's um, the guy who did it. Uh, I have to admit, I did not copy the entire article. It, it sh surely, if you do a search for it, Deborah, on Google, you will find it. Four people killed just recently in Merced, California. You'll be able to find it. I want to talk about the Las Vegas massacre from five years ago. And... You know, we're now, of course, we just passed the five-year anniversary. Uh, Las Vegas, of course, is my former hometown, a city that I love very much, even though I've not been there since I moved. I have a lot of great memories of Las Vegas. Many of my good friends still live in Las Vegas. And I have even talked about once in a while, maybe I will move back there once one of these days. But this article caught my eye because... You know, technically, very, very technically, we still don't know why this guy did what he did. Why he went up into the Mandalay Bay and with all those guns and shot all those people, killed all those people who were at the concert across Las Vegas Boulevard. Technically, despite a lot of people looking at him, his history, and looking at what was going on in his life and him giving money to his Filipino wife to go back to the Philippines when this would happen. And there's no, no suspicions that she knew that this was going to happen. And he did kind of seem like an odd guy. Well, I want to read this and I'm going to be honest with you. I think this FBI agent gets it totally wrong. I, I, I and uh, I'll get to that at the end, but I'm going to read this. Former FBI Special Agent John Guandolo told Turning Point USA in a recorded interview that there's a 90% certainty 
that the Las Vegas attack was a jihadi operation and Stephen Paddock was the conduit through which the terrorist organization attacked America. So essentially what they're saying is this was a Islamic terrorist plan. Okay. Once again, I'm reading this, not agreeing with it, so just bear with me. In the interview, Guandola said, when you look at what actually transpired and put it together from a counter-espionage attack and counter-espionage look, the probability that, that it was an ISIS attack is well over 90%. He said the special agent in charge of the Las Vegas FBI field office, I used to knew some, know somebody who worked in the FBI office in Las Vegas, by the way, got angry and dismissed it. And when presented with the information, FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C., dismissed it out of hand. Guandola says... He'd been asked to brief a couple of people, members of Congress and others. He said the FBI, both in Washington, L.A., and Las Vegas, have participated in that investigation, can't even begin to think of it as a jihadi attack because, number one, they still don't understand what they actually, that actually means. He continued, they don't understand what actually happens, and they have no desire to understand what happened. So their knee-jerk reaction in these cases is always to dismiss that and point in a different direction because they've been conditioned to do so. He concludes... I mean, it only points to an ISIS attack. It does not point anywhere else. ISIS claimed responsibility for the attack five times. They said that guy, he's our guy. We hail him. He's a martyr. Moreover, Guandolo said, it's more than that. I mean, there's one of the key guys that's part of that attack, claimed to be a Australian guy. And we said, well, here's where this guy is. He lied as to where his whereabouts, his, as to his whereabouts. And when he said he was here, he was actually in a, t- in a hotel in Las Vegas and the only other people staying in the hotel are people from an area in, in Mexico where there's high ISIS activity. He admits that's not definitive. That's just one data point. He said in the interview that the Australian man then goes to New Mexico and his phone rings in a cafe owned by a Turkish guy tied to ISIS. And he goes overseas. He flies from the United States to Australia and he goes overseas. Guandola asks, who flies from the United States to Australia and stays only two days and comes back with ties to Australian Antifa? And then goes to Germany. I know some of this stuff. I have no idea what this guy's talking about. Guandolo concludes right now. There's no other option on the table. I want you to remember that no other option. All evidence points to that. That's all we're saying. We're saying the fact is the FBI hasn't investigated. It's unprofessional. We'll say one more. We'll say one thing for this theory. It makes more sense. And then this is something I'm not going to read that. Um, I couldn't disagree with this more. There does not, here's the problem that, you know, I, and I realize this is a retired FBI agent. He is supposed to know more about crime and general crime and terrorist organizations and attacks than I do. All right. He should. But here's what I think I've learned about disappearances over the last six years. Nobody needs any reason to do anything, at least not any reason that is observable. Now, if we were in these people's heads, then we'd know exactly why they were doing what they do or what they did. But I continue to say this is um, I was just talking about this Um with my buddy Cameron on the way home after we dropped Aaron off, he was talking about, you know, Cameron was talking about his work and he manages a lot of people 
And some of the things he was saying echo a lot of things that I've said uh, about disappearances. And one of those is that you can't expect people to, to act in logical ways. In addition, what may seem illogical to us may seem totally logical to the person doing whatever act that person is doing. In addition, just because you see somebody acting some way does not mean that's when, what's in their heads. All right, maybe to give, just go to example I talked about 30 minutes ago in a, a much lighter tone, me running into Holly Findlay. The way I acted toward her was certainly not what I was thinking up in my mind. Certainly not. Now, she probably went by me and forgot about me as soon as I passed, and she's on with her day. You know, she's signing autographs. Everybody knows her and everything else. You know, she just thinks I walked past her and just didn't do anything. And she's, you know, she would not know what's in my head. But in my head, of course, wanted to talk to her, didn't. So my thoughts were different than my actions. And so getting back to this, I don't know why we're also always dead set on trying to launch. Some of these things are not logical. Except in that person's mind, as twisted as that person's mind is. People do things for no reason that is observable. They just sometimes do things just to be evil, just to be dirty, just so they can get away with something. Those are not, although they are reasons, they are certainly not reasons that would be observable, that you could look at emails or Facebook posts or Twitter and Instagram, you know, compile a bunch of information and there could be nothing on any of it and the person still does something. So when I think about disappearances, we know, we know that there are disappearances that have happened that it's just hard to understand. Just impossible, impossible to understand knowing the facts that we do. Crystal Morrison calls for a ride, isn't there when a ride gets there. How do you explain that? She wanted a ride home. Most people, when they call for a ride, they stay there and the person shows up, you get in the car, you go home. She called for a ride, she wasn't there. Mm -mm. Or we can look at it from a suspect point of view, like I was doing, like I was talking about earlier when it comes to like Larry Webb or Angela Green's husband. There is no logical reason that he would tell the stories that he did to his own daughter, to Angela, his daughter, and to investigators and everybody else in Angela Green's family. The stories that he told make no sense, but he told them. So to labor to try to find uh, logical reasons for these things, once again, the only logic that we can ever get out of any disappearance is if we suspect that it was foul play, that whoever caused it wants to get away with it. That's it. That's it. Now, some people don't get a, want to get away with it. This guy, Stephen Paddock, obviously did not want to get away with his crimes, with murdering all those people. 
because he had no escape plan. He was there when Las Vegas Metro uh, showed up. He didn't take them on a car chase or anything else. He knew as soon as he would start shooting that the police would show up and he would not be getting out of there alive. And in fact, he ended up killing himself. So I totally reject all of this simply because this Guandola guy is looking for some logical reason. Obviously, he doesn't know. A lot of people in this world just do things for no reason. Just for the fun. Even though it's horrible, they do it just for the fun of it. What do we think Columbine was about? What do we think about these school shootings? I realize a lot of these kids were bullied. Well, a lot of them weren't, too. They do it to get attention. We can go back to the 1960s. I forget the guy's name, but the guy that shot up that university from the uh, from the water tower. They talk about it in the movie um, Full Metal Jacket. He was a Marine, but he was having some issues. He ended up, what, he ended up killing his, did he kill his mother or his family or something? And then he goes to the school, goes up to the water tower and starts shooting at people randomly. Was that a terrorist attack to a former FBI agent? So it worries me <laughs> that somebody who is a, and now I, I, I have an idea what I, I think is going on here. I'll get to that in a moment, but it, just in general, it bothers me that some former FBI, FBI agent who is retired would come up with something like this. You know, the problem we have I think as humans is that when something does happen in our lives that we can't explain, we usually default to what we understand the most, even though that might be wrong. And then we try to get the facts to fit our theory. It's, it's kind of that uh, idea, you know, when, when all you have is a hammer, then everything becomes a nail. And so when it comes to kind of something like this, where five years later, it doesn't seem that, at least very technically, that there is a reason, once again, a, a logical reason that this person did this. Well, it must have been terrorism. Well, we got this guy who's connected to this guy who's connected to that guy, and allegedly this said this and this said that. And of course... Terrorism's big news, as I was talking about last week. You start talking about terrorism in contrast in something like this. Well, that's going to get a lot of attention. And I think that's where I'm going with this. You know, the problem we have is we just have too many retired police officers, retired agents who like to create all sorts of stories. Remember something. The smiley face killer hoax was first postulated by former New York police detectives who were retired. Just remember that. And you know what I think of that. And I know what I think what all of you think of it. It's a bunch of bull. But we have to remember that. And I can't help but think they come up with these things because they love the attention. They're going to get interviewed. They're saying something outrageous. They're saying something that hasn't been said before. The smiley face killer thing follows no accepted criminal criminology of how anything is investigated anywhere. 
Likewise, this follows nothing as far as criminologies or anything else. I'm guessing also that there, you know, being that he didn't bring it up, it, you know, it's so convoluted what he's saying here. There's no emails about this guy speaking to anybody who is in some terrorist organization, no matter no matter what their religious affiliation. There's no phone calls, no nothing else. But this was a terrorist attack. Now it was certainly terrifying. It was certainly an attack. I don't know if we could ever attach it to what has been understood to be terrorism over the last 20 years. But it was certainly terrifying to the people who were there. So some of these things, you know, what I would say about Stephen Paddock and when he do it, why he did it is because – I think his life was just going downhill. That's the way I see it. And he wanted to go out, no pun intended, with a bang. He was a big shot. He was trying to be a big shot. High roller, doing this, doing that. Being a big shot, getting attention and all this. And then it was all going away, little by little. That's what I think. And so he decided, you know what? He's mad at Las Vegas. He probably thinks it all screwed him over. Well, you know what? I'm going to make Las Vegas pay. It's very common human thinking. It's, you know, it's, it's just a very, very, very extreme version of when you break up with someone and when you go out the next day that your tires are slashed. Same thing. Same thing. Um, it just it just bothers me that that somebody in this position would say something like this. Um, as I have uh, and, and I have it written here in my notes, you can go to YouTube after the show, of course, and you can watch thousands, if not millions, of videos of crimes being committed because of security cameras. The video that ends up on the internet. You can watch thousands, if not millions, of videos of crimes being committed for no reason. We hear about all these things, you know, these stories today. At least I see them. Woman walking down the street is punched in the face by a passerby. I have to ask this FBI agent is that a terrorist attack? Woman on standing on subway platform. Man comes up behind her and pushes her into the path of the train. This is, and I'm sure you've seen some of these stories over this past year, couple years. Is that a terrorist attack too? Because it's the same thing. Somebody being, you know, killed for no reason. It's just there's just no guns involved. It's the same thing. So, hi. Why do you think this was a terrorist attack? Is it just because of the numbers? Is that how we're going to gauge these things? So I have, of course, you can tell I have huge, huge doubts about this. I don't like it when crimes like this are covered this way. It sounds to me like this guy just likes to hear himself talk too much. So uh, and on top of everything else, it's 
one of those things, there's no reason for anybody to cover up the idea that it was a terrorist attack. There's no reason to do that. There'd be no reason at all. We know that terrorists, unfortunately, since September 11th, 2001, that there have been other terrorist attacks in the United States. We know that. And we know what they were. And the FBI and all other law enforcement agencies were more than welcome, you know, more than willing to come out and say this was a terrorist attack. This was a terrorist attack. That was this. This was this. So there's no reason, as this guy is saying, well, the FBI is trying to cover this up. They don't want anybody to know that it was a terrorist attack. Why? Granted, we haven't had terrorist attacks that killed as many people as September 11th did, but we've certainly had them over the years. The one being uh, just over there in Orlando, what was it, about 10 years ago or something like that, at that the Pulse nightclub. I've been there, by the way. Uh, and I've been to the memorial, the, the thing they have, um, the display memorial that they have set up there years ago, maybe seven years ago, something like that. So there's no reason for the FBI or anybody else to cover all this up and you kind of shush, 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 make it go away. I just think I totally reject it. Uh, you know, sometimes in all our lives, not even having to do with our murders or anything. Sometimes for many things in our lives, the answer, if we're confused by something, puzzled by something, the really, the answer is right in front of our face, but we reject it because it's just too simple. It's too straightforward. And instead we look for more complicated reasons. You know, I think that, um, when something that bad happens, we it very well may be too often people are looking for that hidden reason to go to conspiracy land to Cookville because it is so hard to understand. But really, I think for all of this, it all just comes down to human nature and how evil we can be. And it has nothing to do with any terrorist organization or any religious organization or anything else. It all comes down to human nature, which can be very, very dirty. So um, that's my take on it. I'm going to see what uh, everybody is saying here. I've been going on a rant for a little bit. Um, by the way, there's hope for change. Thank you for your generous contribution tonight. Uh, good evening, Ed. Working overtime tonight, listening. Employee lot before going in. Funny thing is that every time you PS truck, Passes by, my connection quits for a moment. I, I don't, why is that? That's very weird. Um, and uh, Lorelai, thank you for becoming a member for four months. Thank you. Hello from Minnesota, Lorelai. Thank you. Of course, Lorelai, former guest of Unfound, uh, granddaughter of Milda McQuillan. Good to see you, Lorelai. And once again, there's hope. Thank you for your generous contribution. Uh, there's hope says that, that reasoning by the FBI agent makes no sense. And Kathy also disagrees with the FBI agent. Stephen Paddock is the very, is the sole person responsible for the Mandalay Bay massacre. I studied this quite a bit at the time. Very narcissistic person. Yep. Jasmine's saying hi. Uh, I'm just getting back. Uh, sorry to hear you're in the hospital, Jasmine. Wow. TD says that agent has been eating way too many boxes of Cocoa Puffs. Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. That's a good one, TD. Um, 
there's hope says, I don't think we'll ever know that why the kid did the shooting. And that's just how it is sometimes. You know, I guess what we're saying there's there's hope is there's nothing that we're ever going to find on paper. There's not going to be any smoking gun with a uh, an email or anything like that. Instead, all we have to do is look to human nature, what we think we know about ourselves, what we think about what we think we know about human behavior. We tap into that, and then this all becomes very clear. This is a guy, as I've stated, as Kathy wrote, and some of you probably think the same way. This is a guy who the lifestyle to which he had become accustomed was going away, and he couldn't handle it. Now, why? And I think, once again, I think he was better toward the the uh, city that gave him so much. And he took it out on a bunch of these people, many of whom were not even from Las Vegas, but they had come in from California for the concert. Um, Leanne said, had thought possibility, possibly the FBI knew the true reason of Las Vegas tragedy, but keeping it hidden, truth may be just evil was my thought. Um, you know, once again, there's, there's no reason for any law enforcement agency anywhere in the United States to cover this idea up that this might've been a terrorist attack. No reason. We know these things happen. Um, my perception is they haven't been happening much lately, but certainly we have had other, we know that Americans have been attacked overseas. We know how for a while there we were getting those videos of people having their neck slit and all of that. And luckily all those people were doing that eventually got caught and killed. There is no lack of terrorist uh, news out there. There's no, no reason to, to cover this up and, and say Stephen Paddock, you know, was something else when he was really uh, – you know, really working for ISIS or any other terrorist group out there or whatever. There's no reason for them to do that. We would have, as Americans five years ago, if that's what it was, we would have had to have accepted. Horrible, sad, terrifying. Hope it never happens again. We would have accepted that explanation. There's nobody who would have gotten in trouble in any law enforcement capacity for saying that, yes, you know what? We have proof that this is a terrorist attack. Stephen Paddock, here's the connection, and here you go. We would have all accepted it and just make and just hope it never happens again. There's no reason to protect us. We aren't little children out here. We can take the truth regarding this. So I completely reject all of it. And this FBI agent, I, like I said, I think in the end, just being that I went off on the media a week ago regarding the hurricane and everything, this is another one of those things. I think this guy's full of it. I think he's just looking for something to do in his spare time now that he's getting his federal pension. Pretty sure. Pretty, pretty, pretty sure. Moving on. Um, I have an update on an unfound now that uh, – came out earlier this year. You might remember that I talked about the disappearance of Stephen Salazar. 
This disappearance happened in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Very odd circumstances in which he was in his car uh, one night. uh, I think it was not just after dark, but I think it might have been close to 11 o'clock. And he went across this bridge, uh, the Susquehanna River, I think in Harrisburg. And he got into a car wreck. And I'm not, I'm not, in, in retrospect, I'm not even sure that it was his fault. It might have been. But witnesses stated at the time that as soon as the car wreck happened, and there were multiple vehicles involved, he jumped out of his car, ran over to the bridge, and jumped. Do you remember that? So maybe some of you are now saying, oh, yeah, I remember that episode of Unfound Now. That must have been, uh, what, six months ago that that episode came out? And these types, it's very sad. I feel horrible for his friends and for his family. But these, this is one of those things, once again, that I just, I'm not sure it's obvious to, to people. We can learn way more about disappearances from a disappearance like this than we can from a, like one like Brian Schaefer's or Mara Murray's or Jennifer Kessie's, or all these very, very, very well-known ones. We can learn much more about disappearances from the Stephen Salazar's of the world than these others. Why? Mainly because we have witnesses who have no reason, who had no reason to lie, who all told a consistent story in which a guy who was in a car wreck ran from the scene and jumped from a bridge a bridge that he had just driven over a minute before. Getting back to what we talked about regarding the Las Vegas massacre and not being able to find, you know, anything that makes sense. Now, you know, say that there had been no witnesses. Say he had wrecked his car, Stephen had wrecked his car near the bridge all by himself. Would anybody really think, and then when, uh, you know, somebody came upon the wreck or the police showed up or something, and he's not in the car, would anybody have really thought that he ran to the bridge and jumped? No. We reject that. That doesn't make any sense. Why would anybody do that? He was in a car wreck. He obviously was well enough to run away from the scene. He wasn't injured. Nobody was hurt. Nobody got killed. Why then would somebody run from the scene of a car wreck and jump up a bridge? Well, it doesn't make any sense. But that's what happened because we have witnesses to it who, like I said, usually I reject witnesses, but these were people in the moment who told this story like right after it happened because police did show up because there was a a car wreck occurred. They were there in minutes. And they said, yeah, he ran over to the bridge and jumped off. Whereas had there been no witnesses and this was just a one car wreck, nobody would have thought that. But he did it. And so the follow-up story is that the Lancaster County Coroner's Office has identified remains found by two kayakers last week. This would have been September 29th. The coroner says the remains of 61-year-old Stephen Salazar of Harrisburg were found on Weiss Island in Conestoga Township, Lancaster County. Now, I'll I'll have you know that um, I've not looked at a map to see how far downriver this was or, or anything like that. But we have to remember this. 
And I know, you know, this kind of goes back to so many families want to believe, you know, as I think we've all learned. Families want someone to blame. And this is why I think that so many times they default to somebody killed my son. Somebody killed my daughter. And certainly we've covered many disappearances where that has certainly happened. But when we get into those ones that are a little more nebulous, like a Deborah Bowman or more recently a Kyle Fleischman and others like them, where there are no facts to believe these people were killed by anybody. I'm not saying there were any facts that they ran off either and something happened, but certainly there's no reason to believe that foul play occurred. Stephen Salazar's disappearance and now his remains being found showed us that people do run off, walk off for reasons that we will never probably understand. Let's just admit it. Even if Stephen Salazar had been drinking and driving that night, there is still surely no reason for him to run over that bridge and jump. None. He didn't kill any. Nobody got killed in this car wreck. Um, even if he was trafficking in drugs, even if his trunk was full of marijuana, 500 pounds of it, there still would be no reason for him to jump out off a bridge for that. But that's what he did. We just have to remember that. And this is why... As I've continued to do Unfound after six years, it's probably why the walk-off scenario, or in this case, the runoff and jump scenario, comes into my mind a lot more than ever would have in the first few years. Uh, simply because we, now that I'm really concentrating on disappearances and looking for all different kinds of them, when you're looking, you find these disappearances where these people ran off for no reason. This guy had just been driving his car. Uh, for, I don't know where he was coming from. I don't know where he's going. I think when I did map analysis, I theorized that maybe he was driving home from somewhere. He's headed home when he got into this wreck. That surely there's no good reason this person jumped. But he did. It kind of goes like with Holly White's disappearance that we covered a couple months ago in New Mexico. Of course, the people who knew her best and her father, and dare I say it, even the guest, the private investigator who was hired by her family to look into this, they all reject the idea that she would have gone to that bridge and jumped. Now, I will tell you, that's what I think. That's what I told the guest. But this just shows you that these things happen. And... The way I think I know Stephen Salazar, what I learned about him at the time when I did that Unfounded Now, and then comparing it to Holly White and what she was going through, you know, moving and taking money out, taking out loans and, uh, you know, going to be moving to a new city. And it seems to me, even though she was married, she was seeing other men and all this. She certainly had a more of a reason to jump off the bridge than Stephen Salazar did. So if Stephen Salazar jumped off the bridge, doesn't it even then make it more likely that Holly White did too? So this is why I continue to say these types of disappearances that, as we know, 
don't get a lot of play in the news, don't get a lot of coverage. There's a lot we can learn about disappearances from these ones. This is why, uh, you know, I'm very happy that a few years ago I came up with the idea of doing this series Unfound Now, covering these recent disappearances, getting the look at those disappearances in the moment, just like a month after they occurred. Because I think it helps. I think it really does help understand disappearances better. Very sad. But I'm hoping that as we all continue to analyze disappearances, as more unfound episodes come out, that we will remember Stephen Salazar. We can't save him now. He's dead. Very sad. I, you know, and we're never, never going to know why he did what he did. But we can remember his name. We can remember the circumstances. And it will help us maybe try to get answers for other families in similar situations. This is when we look at Shane Fell going back to like the first year of Unfound. Wrecks his car and he disappears. Of course, I think most people, you know, at least at the time, rejected the idea that he would ever, why would he ever go into the Mississippi River? He called his brother to pick him up. You know, what's, why would he do that? How is Shane Fell, what happened to Shane Fell, any different than what happened to Stephen Salazar? They're the same. Now, why Shane would have gone over that levee into the Mississippi River? I don't know. I don't know why Stephen Salazar jumped into the Susquehanna River either, but we know it happened. So there you go. That is the update. That's another now unfound now that has been resolved. Uh, Several of them have been resolved, although there's probably an equal amount that are still unresolved. So let's, let's see what everybody, uh, everybody's saying something to Jasmine because um, she's uh, in the hospital. Sorry to hear that, Jasmine. Okay, moving on. Uh, what do I want to talk about next? Um, let me read to that, did that. Oh, I want to read this. Uh, there's a, there is a trial that is now going on, just started last week, and it is the trial of Brian Patrick Miller. He murdered uh, a couple of uh, girls in the Phoenix area, and of course, uh, many of you will remember that he is considered to be uh, the best suspect and the disappearance of Brandy Myers. So I'm going to read this article because he's now going on trial and Brandy uh, does, and her disappearance does get mentioned uh, in this article. One thing I did not realize is that Brian Patrick Miller was kind of a, I don't know, a little bit of a local celebrity because he was known as the zombie hunter. Uh, that That's news to me. I did not know any of that. So I'm going to read this. So if you hear it for the first time, I will have you know that I had not heard this before either. The trial begins today, October 3rd, so a week ago today. In the case against Brian Patrick Miller, known as known to Phoenix sci-fi fan, fans as the zombie hunter. This is a bench trial, meaning there's no jury, and it will be up to the judge whether or not Miller is found guilty of these murders. The police believe Miller is responsible for more attacks than the pair of decades old that could land him on death row. DNA left at the scenes of Angela Brasso and Melanie Bernas 
murders in 92 and 93 played a crucial role in leading police to Miller more than two decades after the crimes were committed. Those killings were known as the Phoenix Canal murders, but even back then, police believed there were more victims out there. To think that someone who was killed in that fashion, that there wasn't other, there, there weren't other crimes related to them is unlikely, said Sergeant Trent Trump back in 2015 when Miller was arrested. The defense has basically conceded that Miller committed these crimes, but is arguing he's not guilty by reason of insanity. Pointing to Miller suffering from autism and dissociative disorders at the time, as well as abuse from his mother. However, the prosecution said he's guilty of murder and sexual assault. Rosso and Bernus were riding their bikes along bike paths when they were killed, both killed with a knife, and Brasso was beheaded. The precision used in the murders led police to explore the possibility that the killer was a surgeon or a special forces operative. The reality, according to investigators, was even more bizarre. Uh, Phoenix police also recommended that prosecutors charge Miller in the murder of Brandy Myers, who disappeared while walking in her Sunny Slope neighborhood in May of 92. It was six months before Brasso was murdered. Miller lived two blocks from Myers. Her case is considered solved, but not resolved. We know who killed her. We know every detail. We know why we didn't get her body back. We know the color of the trash bag, says Kristen Dennis in an interview with Arizona Family Investigates. Dennis is Brandy's sister. Of course, she was the guest when we covered Brandy's disappearance back, I think, in 2019. According to the Myers police report, after Miller was arrested for the canal murders, his wife told police that Miller had once told her he murdered a girl who matched Brandy Myers's description. The Maricopa County attorney's office rejected the case saying there was no reasonable likelihood of conviction according to the police report i don't understand how one branch of the government which is the phoenix police department uh thinks they could solve a crime conclude it and then there are no official charges said dennis the myers police report also indicates that miller confessed to his wife about another attack on a teenager in everett washington miller and his wife moved to everett in the mid-90s after the canal murders um, once, uh, if you remember, once again, uh, Kristen Dennis, uh, was the guest when we covered Brandy's disappearance. And if, uh, some of this is familiar to you, all these topics about the wife, uh, saying that he confessed to her and, uh, this other attack on a teenager in Everett, Washington, that all came out in the interview that I did with Kristen back then. So Brian Patrick Miller is now on trial i have to tell you just the feeling that i get that you remember it's a bench trial it's not a jury trial yeah no i i realize of course there are huge differences i don't know why one person would pick one over the other but i guess uh there are reasons i'm not a legal expert but there's nothing that i've heard in reading about any of this over the years to make me believe that this guy isn't insane or anything at all. I think that just the fact that he tried to get rid of his victims shows that, uh, he knew what he was doing. He knew it was wrong. Um, and that uh, he was trying to get away with it. And this is why I continue to say the only logical point 
we can ever make about disappearances is when we think it was foul play that the people want to get away with it. No matter what, what crazy stories they may tell and everything else, no matter if they tell crazy Jeff Green stories or stories that maybe seem to be more plausible. Uh, Kathy says Brandy Myers covered August, uh, October 18th, 2019. So almost exactly three years ago. Thank you, Kathy. Uh, just call Kathy the local unfound uh, historian. Thank you for that. So I was right. I did get the year right. It's one of those things. You know, what occurs to me regarding uh, all of this is that it's very interesting to me. Once again, I'm the person who does disappearances for a living. That why the two girls were found and Brandy wasn't. It's always going to be uh, an odd situation to me. I, I think that as long as I do unfound, it, it's always going to be weird when we discover maybe a suspect has caused other disappearances or, or murders. Why did the missing person who got covered on unfound, why has that person not been found? But all of these other victims were from the same suspect. Could it be, be being that these two other girls were found in the canal could it be that at the time Brandy was murdered by by this guy that there was actually water going through the canal? Did they have some sort of rainy season, stormy season? He puts her in the canal, so she actually does get washed way downstream, whereas these other girls, it was, the canal wasn't as high and didn't take them as far and didn't cover them up. I guess that's something that needs to be entertained. I don't know. I have not looked up what uh, the rain situation was in Phoenix or for around the time of any of these murders. But we all know that Phoenix doesn't get much rain. It's like Las Vegas. I just made the joke a few days ago. Um, I convinc- co- uh, coincidentally, at my nephew John's wedding a week ago, where does the time go? I, I coincidentally sat at the same table as a woman who now lives in Las Vegas. And she had, she had moved there when I was still living there. And I made the joke to her. I, I said, I lived in Las Vegas for 13 and a half years. I think it rained 10 times. Phoenix is kind of the same way. Still, this might explain why Brandy wasn't found in the canal, but these other two were. Maybe it's worth maybe it's worth somebody looking into all of that and see what kind of uh, of course for wouldn't necessarily have to be rain. Uh, maybe it was snow melting. I, I forget the time of year that that she disappeared, but maybe that's something that's worth looking into. It's always going to be it's always going to be puzzling to me. So I got to believe. That he, that this judge, it's once again, it's a jury, it's a, a bench trial. So the judge himself or herself gets the thumbs up or thumbs down on Brian staying a free man or not. I gotta believe that he's going to be found guilty. I just cannot imagine that a judge is going to buy into the idea that that he did all of this because of. S- some mental affliction or something. And, and dare I say it, uh, that, that his, his, um, that his lawyer is trying to attach his behavior because he has autism or dissociative behavior. Uh, 
I think regarding I, – I, it's a total – I think it's a total slam at people who have autism. Uh, my uh, understanding of people who are autistic, they're less likely to be violent, not more violent. Even though I know people on the spectrum and I know there are people with severe autism that you know can uh, behave a certain way that – does make them sometimes dangerous to people because they act out and everything. But my understanding with autism is that they're overall, they're less likely to be violent, not more violent, not more likely to be violent. This is what I say uh, about um, gay people that even though we know of uh, serial killers like Jeffrey Dahmer, who, were sexually ambiguous or something like that. The truth is that homosexuals commit a lot fewer crimes than straight people do as a percentage of the population. There is no connection between being gay or lesbian, transgendered, any of that, and being violent. None. Zero. Straight people, way more violent than non-straight people. And, of course, we know... Men, way more violent than women. So I, I think – I just hate seeing this. That They're going to try to put this – You know, he has autism, he has dissociative disorder. I just – I find it disgusting. I really, really find it disgusting. Um, Coffee Lover says, <clears throat> luck, what um, – just uh, what do you mean by luck, Coffee? You will have to type maybe a little bit more out on that. I will gladly read uh, whatever you type there. So Brian Patrick Miller, that will obviously be something that when the next update episode comes out at the end of December, that will get included in there. And I'm sure that when uh, that trial is over, whatever the result is, I will talk about it on the next live show, whether it's next week or a month from now, whenever. Moving on, what is another story that I want to cover? Did that story – oh, this one. I told um, I told uh, Sheree that I would be talking about this tonight. So we'll, we'll finish with – we'll end with uh, this, and then we will go right to Friday's episode. This comes from Pennsylvania, coincidentally, just like Stephen Salazar's death. Joan Marie Diamond was 14 when she went missing in 1969 from a park – in Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania. This Tuesday, so last Tuesday, more than five day five decades later, her remains were identified. We never stopped pursuing answers, and this investigation remains very active, said Captain Patrick Darty, commanding officer at Pennsylvania State Police Troop P in, new, in a news release from the Pennsylvania State Police. After 53 years, the family of Joan Marie Diamond was very much deserves closure. We will do everything in our power to see that they have it. I really wish the police would not use the word closure. There is no such thing. Diamond's remains were first found in 2012 on the grounds of a former coal mining operation in Newport Township by people digging, quote-unquote, for relics, whatever that means. At the time, authorities determined the remains to be female and calculated that her age at the time of death was mid-teens to early 20s, the investigation also pointed toward foul play. Labs also indicated a high probability she died in the late 1960s. 
The, her body was named by authorities as Jane Newport Doe after receiving no matches in the national DNA databases. After that, the remains were submitted to Othram Incorporated in March 2022 to undergo genetic genealogy testing, the statement detailed. At Othram, Diamond's family's members provided DNA samples. When those an- samples were analyzed, Diamond was finally identified. It doesn't didn't reduce the sadness at all or the missing of her, Diamond's older sister Suzanne said following the press conference. I'm glad she was found so that maybe we could have a service for her. The sister added that her parents, who have since died, would be happy to have a little bit of her anyway. She also shared that her parents never gave up hope when looking for her and believed the diamond would be found somewhere alive. She was a sweet girl, didn't deserve that to happen to her, the sister said. I'm grateful for the state police for all they've done. I never expected her to be found after this period of time. Although Diamond's remains were identified, law enforcement is still investigating her death. Anyone with information regarding the case are asked to call the the Shikshini Station. Wow, that's a name. At 570-542-4117. So as you heard, this was uh, she was found by luck. Now, I will admit, in preparing for this live show tonight, I did not look up where she lived at the time and see where this, um, this, what did they call it? Uh, let me make sure I get this right. Um, this former coal mining operation in Newport township. I didn't look how close that was to her house. I'm guessing that she was 14. It's easy to believe uh, that she was in a park that she got abducted by someone. And I maybe think, you know, might be thinking that whoever abducted her might have some uh, connection to this coal mining operation. Of course, what we don't know is was this coal mining operation uh, in business back in 1969? I don't know. That certainly would be important to know. Um if it wasn't, then maybe they should be looking at former employees who knew that the place wasn't there and maybe knew that it's all run down. Nobody would ever look for her there. Or maybe if it was open at the time, then I think this would then still point to somebody who was working there at the time, knowing this was a protected place. We all know after some of the disappearances that have been solved, like Andrea Bowman's and Zoe campuses, the killers like to keep those remains very close to them so they can control them. And so somebody doesn't, by luck, uh, happen upon them, which, of course, never would have happened in Zoe campuses' case, never would have happened in Andrea Bowman's case had history gone a little differently. So uh, another one solved. Uh, a... Uh, a disappearance, I, I guess we could call it a murder at this point, that is even older than I am, now, is now solved. Of course, they're still looking for who might have done it. And let me go back, uh, see what everybody's uh, coffee says. People on the autism spectrum are easily manipulated. Uh, coffee said they're used to taking instructions for others. Once again, I think this would lead me to believe that that Brian Patrick Miller, if he even has autism, that would not cause him to be violent. I, I think that just stretch. I, I, I'm, I'm not convinced he has autism at all. I think he's just a bad guy. 
The real concerns me that people with disassociative identity disorder get a bad rap. They're more likely to have other people do negative things to them than the other way around. Same with autism. Actually, the real, I agree with you. Uh, the coffee says the girls being found by luck. Yes. Versus girls not being found luck as to deceased bodies being found. Yeah. As, uh, as you know, coffee, I've said this many times, if we're going to rely on luck to solve disappearances, a lot of disappearances are going to remain unsolved for, for entire history of the world. Shree says, I sent it because of your connection to PA and the Tribune work you did. Well, I appreciate that, Shree. Yes. Um, thank you. Uh, I will have to admit, you start getting over into the Harrisburg area of Pennsylvania. It's just, it, it's almost like a different country to me. Um, when I lived in Pennsylvania, except for driving, having to drive through Eastern Pennsylvania to get to New Jersey, really did not have a lot of experience with Eastern Pennsylvania. About you get me over past like Johnstown or Altoona getting towards State College area. I just got n- no idea what's going on over there. Whereas Western Pennsylvania, the whole way down to w- West Virginia, the whole way up to New York or up to Lake Erie. I know that area pretty well. Tree says, just read another article today where genealogy DNA was able to identify a Jane Doe and her killer for the first time. Usually it's one or the other, but not both. Uh, Cherie says, rising fawn doe. I don't know anything about that, Cherie. Maybe send me something. I can talk about it next week. All right. Let's finish this live show up. Uh, Cherie says, hi. I feel the same way about North and West Texas. Yeah, Cherie is uh, from Eastern uh, Texas. And really, I don't know anything about Texas. Okay. So this Friday, what are we going to be doing this Friday? Given that um, I was on this trip for five days and could not get as much work done as I usually do, I decided, and I knew I was going to be going on this trip for about a month now, and I had resolved that uh, this coming Friday would be a revisited episode. And you know how I like doing those because many of these episodes that came out at the beginning of Unfound's existence um, Unfound just wasn't that popular at the time. And I realized that many people who will find, have found Unfound, especially over the past year now that we're with Spotify and all of that, and I think that the, the podcast is as popular as ever, a lot of people don't have the time. You know, we have, we have like 340 episodes now. Where do people find the time? If you come across Unfound for the first time, 340 episodes, I mean... I'm not saying people don't eventually listen to all of them. Maybe some do, but, you know, these uh, episodes, you know, they're not just like 10 minutes each. They're like two hours each, you know, so it's going to take a long time. And then on top of that, there's a new episode coming out every Friday. That doesn't help if you really want to get caught up on everything. So when I have a chance, I like to re-air right on the feed some of the older episodes. And so this Friday, and I think that who was it at the beginning of the show tonight uh, said, uh, MJ, MJ, I hope you're still tuned in. We're going to revisit the disappearance of Jason Jolkowski this Friday. Of course, it was the second episode of Unfound that ever came out after Susie Lyles. And... Of course, the interview was with his mother, Kelly Murphy, who at one time had the, the uh, Project Jason, which we talked about at the time. But then a couple years later, she shut it all down. I don't know why. 
I've not spoken to her since she shut it down. I've tried to contact her multiple times. She hasn't got back to me, just so you know. But you know that I'm not a big fan of superlatives. I get this question at every uh, university talk I've done so far. They ask me, well, what is that disappearance that really you know, sticks out of mind? Which is the one that keeps you up at night? Which is the one that haunts you? And you know that's not how I think about these things. However, even I can admit that some of these disappearances are more mysterious than others. On some of them, we know what happened. It's just hard time proving it. As I mentioned earlier, Angela Green is a very good example. There are many that are very good examples. And then there are the ones where you're just not sure. So we, I realized that even though I don't do superlatives on Unfound, I can admit that some of them are more mysterious than others, given the facts. And despite Jason's episode being that the second one Unfound ever did, to me, it still continues to be one of the most mysterious, if not the most mysterious one that Unfound has ever covered. To me, much more mysterious than Brian Schaefer's, much more, dare I say it, much more... Uh, mysterious than Tom Brown's because really with Jason Jokowski, it seems like anything is on the table, everything, anything, um, broad daylight, walking a half mile, good kid walking in his neighborhood, going to meet a coworker, never shows up, never seen again. Uh, we just don't have many of those despite us now on episode or disappearance, like 270, we don't have too many of those. Yes, Kyle Fleischman, certainly, but he's out, out in the town. He's drinking a little bit. He's in a downtown area in the middle of the night. Same way with Justin Gaines, maybe some of the women that we've covered who, who kind of were out and went missing. Nothing like this in broad daylight. And sometimes, you know, we get drugs involved. We get drinking involved. There's a bad relationship, you know, in there somewhere with many of these disappearances. With Jason's, we have none of that. To me, that's what makes his disappearance so mysterious, so compelling, even over six years later. So we're going to revisit it. I'm going to play the original interview that I did with Kelly. Going to have new commentary at the end. Really not sure what I'm going to be doing about the beginning. Probably the opening will be a little bit different. And of course, I'll have all the unfound news and everything in there. But we are going to revisit it. We're going to put it back on the map um, all these years later. And I will have a new commentary at the end, new summation, just talking about some of what I've just mentioned here about it being mysterious and, and comparing it to many other disappearances that are a little bit like Jason's, but not quite. Maybe we might say Joshua Gimon's and some others, but still what makes Jason's so unique and why it is so mysterious. So that's what we'll be doing this Friday once again due to – I mean I've been talking to a ton of people and you know, there's a lot of uh, guests for the upcoming weeks and months. Uh, really this fall has been going very well, talking to a lot of people that I really want to help out with the podcast. But given everything, uh, you know, first of all, there was of course the hurricane – that still got that episode out and then this trip and everything. It's just been, uh, you know, the last so many weeks 
Um, it's been difficult, but I've been getting it done, and I'm still going to try to get a new episode out next Friday, even though I'll be in Colorado. We're working on it. But this Friday, the disappearance of Jason Jolkowski revisited. Jolkowski, M-J-J-O-L-K-O-W-S-K-I. It is on the Charlie Project. So that's all I got for this live show for October 10th, 2022. So what do I talk about? Back here in Clearwater Beach after a great trip with friends. Talked about me chickening out when I saw uh, Holly Finley, supermodel slash disc golfer, uh, a few days ago. Fixed my computer, going to the dentist. The Carter poll, Unfound Now, will be released tomorrow. The Panky Trial, Stephen Salazar. The trial of Brian Patrick Miller talked about how abductions happy, a whole family being abducted and murdered. Uh, Joan Marie Diamond identified after all these years, talked about the Las Vegas massacre and how that FBI agent is full of it. And there were a couple other things that I didn't get to, but that's okay. That's it. Thank you all for listening and watching. Give this video a thumbs up before you leave. Join the channel if you would like right here on YouTube uh, for a very, very low price of $3 a month. Good night to everyone. Charles, thank you for taking part. I really love uh, seeing you in here every week. That's a real uh, trip for me. And you will hear me on Friday along with Jason Cholkowski's mother. Once again, I'll be replaying the interview I did with her way back in 2016. Good night, everyone. <laughs>